Hello, everyone. I am Samori, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. And this week's It Takes a Village. Jason goes through struggles keeping his kids occupied through the shutdown, while I struggle to keep Simone asleep. We'll also tell you about Batter and Berries, our Black Business of the Week. Then we'll dive into the main topic of hurdles that make it difficult to invest in Black communities and how we can overcome them. Remember that you can see our videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family, Twitter and Instagram at SJH Man Cave, and email us at info at SJHmancave.com. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. I've been struggling with trying to keep the kids active, keep their minds a little bit more active. Uh, the schoolwork and the stuff, I've, I've noticed that Jada doesn't really have a big problem with like doing like the online learning. I'm actually very happy about like she doesn't get uh, very confused and she's very intuitive when it comes to dealing with stuff on the computers. My son, who's going into the first grade, is going to be a totally different thing, I think. Uh, he did pretty well, wasn't that last year coming out of kindergarten, but I'm assuming with him not being able to, you know, meet his teacher in person and create that uh, banter or that that relationship that most teachers would create with six and seven year olds and what as best as they can is going to be kind of missing. Our our school district basically gave us that hybrid choice. Uh, I believe it was two or three days a week in person, and then uh, those two or three days they would only be in school for maybe three hours a day. And then they would come home for another two, maybe two and a half hours of the e-learning. And as I've discussed before, in most of my uh, precautions and most of my concerns about the kids going back to school is I don't, I don't trust other parents. So <laughs> we made the choice to uh, to keep them home. And uh, you know, Jada was very disappointed. You kind of saw it in her because she's going into sixth grade now. They do this thing like what the sixth, the sixth graders are like top brass in the school right now. They, they that level that all the kids want to get to. They get clapped out of school and stuff like that at the end of the year and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of special <laughs> and she's going to get, a, she's going to miss out on it and it kind of sucks. And Junior going into first grade, you know, it's just going to be a matter of being able to keep them active, you know, say occupied throughout the day and being able to help them focus on what they need to focus on. I try to get them outside as best as I can. Uh, luckily, right now, I'm in the middle of trying to teach Junior how to ride his bike without the training wheels. And Jada's keeping, trying to keep me out on this bike to try and keep me active. We weren't very successful in those last few months. The kids were out of school when they first got sent home in regards to just kind of keeping them active. So now if we're potentially talking about an entire school year, or at least the fall, and possibly going into the spring, it's like, okay, well, what can we do? Jada was playing basketball. I think it is a perfect opportunity to get her up to the court. Hopefully, if all the other kids are doing the e-learning, once she gets those done, I can get up to the court and kind of get her on the court and try to show how to dribble without uh, looking at the ball because all the kids on her team did that and everybody was just stealing the ball back and forth because couldn't nobody look up. So hopefully trying to teach her that technique. And then Junior was supposed to be playing uh, flag football this year, and this was going to be his introduction into – you know, organized football. You know, I, I don't want to be one of those dads that push the sports on the kids, but I do want them to be active. 
I was about to say, what, what you going to do if your son decides he don't want to play football? <laughs> you going to be one of them dads? He got to do, do something. He got he to do something. He can't, he can't just go to school and not do something. Because you, you, you need that extracurricular, one, especially if you want to get into a good school nowadays anyway. so. What if he wants to do dance? Are you are you gonna go to his recitals? I was about to say, what if he wants to be a cheerleader? <laughs> What's that you look know, on your face? I just saw a rice. Did anybody else see that Rice Krispies commercial where the kid walked into the dance uh, the dance room and it was all the ballet dancers and he had the little tight white shirt on and the tight pants? <laughs> he sat, He was the only boy in there. He sat down up against the wall and was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, and hit his Rice Krispie treat on top of the bag. <laughs> Some girl walked by his father and standing on top of the bag. Come on, come on, son, shake it. And I said, I don't know if I can be that dad. I don't know if I can be the one like, come on, shake it. You need to be your son's Rice Krispie treat. There you go. You need to do it. Okay. <laughs> don't mess that just around. sounds wrong Absolutely. on so many levels. I was already disturbed by the yeah. fact that they turned the father into a Rice Krispie treat. <laughs> and then he was just in there, and then because after he ate the, the right, first of all, he ate the Rice Krispie treat, he hopped up and he was he was ready. Who eats marshmallow or Rice Krispies is ready to dance. I don't, <laughs> hey, not that I'm knocking Rice Krispie bars. treats and whatnot, but I don't see any energy in those. That's like direct <laughs> injection of sugar. What you yeah. talking about? Go straight into the bloodstream, they ready to go. <laughs> Quick burst. I don't remember my youth that much. I, I I thought I didn't reference energy to sugar rushes and whatnot, but I guess it's kind of the same thing. Did <laughs> so. you all uh, see that this morning, Governor Pritzker said the city is going in the wrong direction regarding coronavirus and that he, he might re start reversing um, part of the things that they've opened up within the last month or so? Dude, we're going back to phase one and probably the next month. <laughs> so, sure seems like it. I'm, I'm not, I, they, they can talk all that mess they want. With the numbers steady skyrocketing and, and they steady adding states, they yeah. added all the states around Illinois. So right. kind of think it's I, a wrap. I took a, I took a drive through Hyde Park today. And, and I mean, they're, they're looking like that there's not even a virus going on. I mean, half the people don't have masks. The, the other half just 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 congregating with the ones that don't have masks. It, it's just it's just crazy. It looks like it looks like the same old. It looks like the same old crowds. It, it's not. I mean, this is yeah. We're going back to phase one, just like you said. That's why I'm not too much worried because I know one of my jobs. I I've been telling people up here at the store I'm working at Oakbrook, and I was like, oh, y'all ain't got to worry about it. We're gonna be back on vacation for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, Samantha and I were supposed to go to Washington, D.C. At, at the end of August for the March on Washington, but Washington just got blocked by New York as one of the potential hotspots, which, man, you know, that's not the kind of thing that clears up within a month, <laughs> you know, so we were talking earlier today, like, uh, do we need to cancel this trip? Like, we went this long without COVID free. <laughs> do we really want to go in this march and bring back some COVID with us and have to quarantine for two weeks? Just stay there. <laughs> Take your mic and stuff with you so we can record. Just stay there. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jason, you've been trying to figure out ways to keep your kids occupied, but Hudson, you figured out something to do with your daughters, correct? Oh, yeah. Look, look, my youngest, right? 
she just she took and came out of nowhere. I didn't even expect it. She came out and, and she threw a little ball at me. Before I really go into this, let me explain. This is a, this just a little tiny ball, okay? And it's squishy. It don't hurt. You know, I feel like I need to tell y'all that right now, okay? So she throws it at me. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, cool. So I take it and I toss it back. And, and she, she's getting excited. She's going crazy. And so she throws it back at me. And so I toss it again and it popped her in the forehead. Now, she don't think nothing of it. You know, she having fun. So she she just that, 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 that again. And she takes it and she sends it back my own way. Now I send it again. I didn't mean to do this. Popped her in the forehead again. I mean, so twice in a row. Now, she's still having a great time and I did it twice. So I'm like, let's see if I could do it again this time on purpose. So I popped her in the forehead. Oh, That's your reaction? So, so, so that time, and she kept enjoying it. And, and for some reason, I just kept enjoying it back. Like, I, hey, okay, let me just keep popping her in the forehead. And it was funny because she would see the ball coming, so she would kind of cross her eyes because it was coming in the middle of, of, her, of her forehead, so she crossed her <laughs> eyes trying to see it. And it just kept popping her right there. And she, <laughs> she and she'd be so excited. Wow. And I'm sitting here like, this is a win-win because she, <laughs> she up there, she'd be keeping me up at night all the time. So I feel like I'm getting a little payback by going here, popping her in the forehead a little bit with this little ball. Now, okay, I'm going to tell y'all again, this is a little squishy ball. It don't hurt. <laughs> but, but my wife come down, she like, I said, stop hitting her in the forehead with the ball. I said, I, I told her, I, I lied, y'all. I lied to her. I, you know, I, I don't hardly lie to my wife. I lied to her. I said, I'm not doing it on purpose. That <laughs> would make you think I'd try to hit my own child in the forehead with a ball. What, what, what kind of monster do you think I am? <laughs> and wow. the whole time, I'm just laughing. Like, you know, the wife knows better. It. She knows better. <laughs> of course she do, but you got to hold it. You got to hold that lie. You know, once you tell it, you got to hold it. So, you know, I, I hope she don't see this, hear this episode. Anyway, hey, <laughs> hey, that's what happened with me. I love it. The whole time catch, laughing. having a good time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you see, look, I'm telling you, it's the best thing in the world to see them eyes cross. She's trying to catch that ball with her eyes. She ain't once put her hands up. So <laughs> it, was, it was just funny. And you ain't taught her how to it either. No, don't worry about them hands. Come here. Nah, we're going to wait a little bit on that. <laughs> so what's been on my mind? Uh, Simone, there was a period where I could just lay her down and she would just go right to sleep. No problems, just systematic. I mean, immediately at 9 p.m., I would say, I would turn her and say night, night, and she'd be crawling over to her bed herself. <laughs> I just pick her up, lay her down, close the door. That's it. We all good. I don't know what has happened. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what triggered this, but that is not the case at all anymore. At all. First of all, the the idea that she'll go to sleep with no amount of prep, completely out the window. Completely out the window. Even when she's really tired from everything that she's done throughout the day and she's ready to just lay out, that gives me no peace. 
because I realized that that's only going to last for like an hour, maybe two. And then she's going to wake up screaming because she's going to realize she's in her bed and she's all alone. You know, I've read things that say, well, just let them cry it out. You know, if they're just laying in bed and you and you know that they're all right and we have a little monitor so we can see her when she's screaming and crying in the bed. So I know she's not really in pain, but the problem is her tolerance for screaming and and just going crazy when she's in the bed far exceeds not my tolerance because I'm I'm more than willing to let it ride out, but my wife can't stand it. She can't stand it because Simone will, will just shriek and holler in a way where, you know, some kids will scream in a way where they're being brats, right? Where you can tell, I'm just trying to scream and get my way. Simone has a way of screaming where it sounds like she's really scared and she's really in pain and you need to come and you need to comfort her. It doesn't sound like just a child get trying to get their way, even though that's exactly what it is. She can keep that pitch of voice for, I mean, I've seen her do it for hours straight, literally, with no signs of stopping, no signs of getting tired. I think the limit is like hour 15. By, by, if we let her just scream it out for an hour and 15 minutes, she'll go to sleep. And I've done that for a week straight with no change. It's not like we're building up to a point where, okay, you'll be able to go to bed by yourself. It's just, she does not like being alone. She does not like the dark. She does, she wants to be held and comforted. But the weird thing is, I feel like this only happens at our house. She stays over with my grandparents all the time. They say they put her down in that crib. No problem. And I know the the reason probably is my grandfather is, ab- my, my father and her grandfather is absolutely ruthless. And so she's probably used to, well, when I scream and cry, he doesn't come to me anyway. So it ain't, there's no point in me screaming and crying when I'm about to go to sleep because all he's going to do is just ignore me. And I'm thinking maybe that's what it is, but it's still frustrating. Why can't I get that balance where my child knows I will come to her if she's screaming and there's a problem, but at the same time, when it's time to go to sleep, can you please just go to sleep? Come on now. It's 9 p.m. We, we, we haven't figured out how to make that happen yet. Have you tried changing a bedtime? We try to put it down around 9 o'clock, but it doesn't really work that way. So sometimes it's 9.30, sometimes it's 10. You know, we always just try to put it down somewhere in that time range. But we haven't tried just saying that, you know what, maybe we should start putting it down at 10 instead of 9 or anything like that. That is a thought. Well, I, I would say earlier because sometimes it, it once they, if they get so tired, sometimes it's harder for them to go to sleep if they turn too tired. So I was thinking put them there, try to put her down at eight. How often is she taking naps like during the day? So we only have her take naps one time during the day, but we did make a recent change before uh, we would let her just nap until she was ready to wake up, which could sometimes be anywhere from like two to three hours. But we read recently that that's too long, that really you should only let her nap like maybe an hour and a half, and then you need to go ahead and get her up. And then she she can go back to sleep when it's actually time to go to sleep. So we actually just started that, and we haven't figured out yet whether or not it helps to ensure we don't have this issue. She's she's still one, right? She's not two. Uh, she's, she's two. She is two. Yep. 
Yeah, that letting them scream and whatnot. That's that's more like when they infants. That you you <laughs> don't you can't get away with that when that when they get big like that. Yeah, that's what I've kind <laughs> so, of figured. Yeah. At this point in time, she knows how to manipulate y'all. Right. And she knows how to manipulate anybody else she's with. It's just like you say, like when she's over at your pop's house. He ain't going. He a whole nother dude. Like, cause it, cause that's an emotional thing too. Like most people like to think that like it's it's something that's learned or what it is learned, but at the wow. same time, you have emotional connections with your kids. Right. So when she cries a certain way, she knows she's gonna get a reaction right. out of Sam. Right. Or right. she knows that she's gonna get enough of a reaction to one that, that Sam's gonna send you mm-hmm. <laughs> to come get mm-hmm. her. And just like when she's with your pops and whatnot, she's like, all right, well, grand, granddad's a little different type of dude. Right. I could just, I could just tell that from his demeanor. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to do something a little different with him. So hey. Even though he might, he, he might, she might not have that issue with him. She mm-hmm. might have something else that you just don't know about yet. They figure out real quick when they're in a different place. They, they figure out different. Like, uh, like my youngest, it, it was amazing to see the evolution because. Like she will fall asleep at her grandma's and there's kids all over there and there's so much noise there, but she will fall right asleep over here. If we make any kind of sound, she will wake right up over here is much quieter. But if you let that pin drop, she is waking right up and she going to start going at you. But over at grandma's, she'll, she'll stay asleep because she already know it's a herd of Buffalo over there. So she going to be cool. (laughs) No, it's noise over there. So she'll fall right asleep. But here, no, not at all. I know this for a fact because when I called Hudson the other day, he had to be a ninja. He just shut up for a second. Wait, what? Just called to talk to you for a second. (laughs) Shut up. I'm walking in the house. I got to turn my ninja on. I was like, ninja? What the hell's going on? <laughs> took about 15 minutes. All right, I done made the next step. Let's get up the stairs. <laughs> he literally whispered the whole time. I'm like, why is he even talking to me? Just call me back. <laughs> so I said, I've experienced Dude, this I deal. can't be making all that noise hanging up the phone. Wow. That's hilarious. With Junior, he actually tested my marriage. <laughs> Swear to God. Like I we, we talked about leaving each other when he was first born. That's 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 we didn't get no Junior screamed, Junior cried his entire first year of life. Wow. I'm talking every day. All he did was cry, he would yell, and there was no console in him. He would only take nap. If he took a nap, it would be for maybe four, maybe five minutes. Wow. And that hmm. was when I was working nights. Y'all remember, I lost a job because of my son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 Fell asleep at work and whatnot because he, he kept us up like every wow. night. It was crazy. <laughs> but it was rough. And it was, it was hard to get. And it was just one of the things was like, okay. We just got to get through it. Like we we had our little you know routines, but in the routines when you ain't had no sleep, routine don't mean nothing. Right. You screaming and hollering at each other. Go, you go get him. I'm, I'm tired of getting him. He make me sick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that 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 first year was nuts. Thank you, fellas. You've given me a couple of options for things I might try to do differently. Next up is what's new in your world and. Actually, it's my turn to go into it this time. For as long as I can remember, I've been big. 
Like even when I was a kid, I always kind of hovered around 200 pounds. My father used to limit the kind of foods and things we could have in the house. And he said it was always because of me. <laughs> he was like, your brothers, they can handle cookies and treats and, and candy and all sorts of things in the house. But you, you would go overboard with it. And since you can't handle it, none of y'all can have it. <laughs> he would remind me of that constantly. And my brothers made it clear that they were very upset with me because of it. <laughs> but it's just always been me. I've always been a, a big person. and. You know, I just felt like it was just a natural part of who I am. But I remember seeing a commercial of, or or maybe it was a show, I don't remember. Of, but I just remember it was a really, really large guy, overweight guy, who couldn't get out of bed by himself. They needed like two or three other family members to help this person get out of bed. And I remember sitting there looking at that as a kid saying, wow, I hope I'm never that person and that it never gets that bad. And I came up with this arbitrary figure. I said 500 pounds. If the day ever comes when I am about almost 500 pounds or at 500 pounds, that's when I know I've reached a limit and that my weight is completely out of control and I need to get surgery or do whatever I got to do to stop that. Because to me, that was just, how could you allow yourself to get to that point? You know, I found out last week um, that I weigh 460 pounds and it came as a complete shock to me because I thought my weight was going in the right direction, which is easy to do when you don't set specific goals and metrics for you to follow. So I just, you know, in my mind, I imagined that I was doing the right thing. And of course, it turns out that I wasn't. So I scheduled a doctor's appointment for this week. And I was, first thing I said when I talked to the lady on the phone was, I'm just going to go have to go ahead and get gastric bypass surgery and just go all the way with it. I have to figure out a way to stop, bring a full stop to this and change the trajectory that I'm on. So I actually went to the doctor today after getting my blood work done, and he said, hey, look, your sugars levels are completely normal. Your cholesterol is only slightly high. You know, of course, your blood pressure is is uh, very much higher than what it should be, but we can give you some medication to help you control that. So you're not you're not in a spot yet. Obviously, you need to do better, but you're not in a spot yet where it's life threatening. To me, I almost feel like it's an opportunity. You know, it's like God is telling me, now's the time. You, I, I have given you a wake-up call. I have shown you that there is a problem. And I've shown you this at a time where it's not life-threatening, where you don't have to take insulin every day, where you don't have to make these drastic, terrible changes in your life that you don't want to have to make. So now it's all up to you. Are you going to do what you need to do to take control of this and to show respect for the gift that you've been given, the body and the life that you've been given? And I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity. And man, I'm going to do everything in my power to take advantage of it. You know, my wife and I, we've started doing this keto lifestyle and Thus far, it's really working for me. I've, I've lost 10 pounds since last week. 
and I'm going to just try to keep this going. And I, I think it's about just deciding that my health is the number one thing. I, I've made a decision. There's some other things I need to cut out of my life so that there's room for me to give my health the focus that it actually deserves. And that means I have to give it that focus every single day. Have you seen a nutritionist? I have not yet. I have not. I actually had the follow-up appointment uh, with my doctor today. So I just got the uh, better news this morning. And so we're still figuring out what, what are next steps to help me stay on this road. I've actually never sat down and spoke with a nutritionist before. So maybe that would be something good for me to do to get some interesting information. I don't know what it is about a doctor always like suggesting that because every doctor I've ever been to is like, would you like us to set you up with a nutritionist? Right. Yeah, sure. Never go. <laughs> right. You know, I actually, thought go. It, I actually thought it was kind of weird that this doctor I went to today didn't do that. He he didn't even suggest a nutrition. He, he said, <laughs> what are you doing about it? I said, my wife and I were doing keto. I'm losing weight. He's like, good. Keep that up. Keto is good. <laughs> and then we just moved on. <laughs> That's probably what the nutritionist was going to say. When I, you know about that keto thing? Yeah, I'm doing that already. Oh, well, you can go on home. We'll probably bill you about $800 for that suggestion. <laughs> I've been reading some stuff on, so so they call it now uh, dark food matter, right? And and I mean, basically the concept is is that we haven't even touched the surface on the the nutrients that we know about in combination with the stuff we don't know about that's in the food that we're eating. So you know, um, I mean, they're discovering new stuff every day. It's it, and they're finding it's a lot more complicated. Than, than, you know, that, that it's been looked at as being. So, you know, even when you talk about the macronutrients and all of that stuff, it gets even more deeper than that. So, so see a nutritionist. I mean, it, you know, hopefully you can get a good one and it doesn't sour you on the process, but, you know, see one and, and just see what they say. Cause you know, it might just go to trying a few different things because keto isn't for everybody. You know, it might give you an initial thing. And then if it doesn't give you any more after that, then you might get frustrated. So, I mean, see a, see a nutritionist and go from there. I know that's happened to me plenty of times. I say shit, but the, the last time when I was living with Hudson and whatnot down there and, and out in Las Vegas, I had actually got down to around 295. Mm -hmm. I was very proud of myself. I came back here. Shit, I, I hadn't worn a 2X shirt and whatnot since I was in grammar school. <laughs> came back here feeling all good about myself met my wife and everything met the woman I love and whatnot and then she started cooking and I gained 30 pounds mm -hmm. which I don't mind it was fine because it's one of the reasons she got the ring on her finger so you know I can't trip <laughs> and it was only 30 pounds so I got back up to 315 but I held on to 315 for a long time mm -hmm. and then I went back in the hospital again what was that two years ago for that damn blood clot and I was smoking and everything so like smoking actually kind of helped keep and keep like the cravings away but immediately after I quit smoking I just started eating dude <laughs> you couldn't even <laughs> stop me I'm I'm waking up in the middle of the night 3 a.m and what I like I am hungry I gotta eat something mm -hmm. I'm like well as long as I'm not smoking no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't started. work that way and I fucked around and I, shit, I, I'm, I'm up to around 365, 370 now. I haven't even been this way. And you know what's messed up? This is how I know I'm fat. I messed around. It was two weeks ago and I overate and I knew I overate. 
I got this pain in my side, right? I had to call off work. I, I couldn't move. It hurt like hell. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I had food poison or something. I went to the hospital. At first, they thought I had like a kidney stone or something because the way it was hurting it. Mm -hmm. But the ladies are like, yeah, we, we ran some x-rays and stuff. I was like, no, you're fine. We can't see what's causing this pain. Uh, we're going to send you home. You just take three days off and go lay down and just relax. And uh, after I got back from the hospital, I sat on the couch. And I thought about it for a second. I said, my fat ass blew my stomach out. <laughs> like, I, I literally re-stretched re my stomach, and it hurt me. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. I ain't, I ain't never heard this before. You, you ate too much and went to the emergency room? <laughs> I, is this what I'm I hearing? I didn't eat because... I, I didn't go to the emergency room because I thought I ate too much. I had this pain in my side where I literally could not move. And what was messed up was that I was at work when it happened. Like all I all I do at work is sit. What did so I'm you like, eat? I, I couldn't have hurt myself. So I'm like, okay, maybe I got some food poisoning. Maybe I got some bad. Like, where's my kidney at? I'm 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 doing. How do you I'm eat too online. much at work? What? Wait, how you eat too much at work? <laughs> how much you taking to work? You having seconds at work? This didn't happen all in one sitting, Hudson. Okay? Don't sit here judging me. All right? I'm trying to tell y'all the story. I don't need all this judgment. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you. That <laughs> is something. It's possible to blow your stomach out when, when you when, when it actually oh kind of stretches back to the size that it kind of could be. All right, I I, I restretched my stomach. So you were full. Waited thirty minutes. It was like, let me oh, get some more. Oh, <laughs> Got too full. Couldn't accept that. You just had to go to the emergency room. <laughs> you had a second. No, I don't appreciate this, Hudson. I'm, I'm sharing stuff with you about my life. And this what you do? This what's up? Okay. Sitting so up being a hobbit at work. Second breakfast? <laughs> hey, man, this is what happens sure. when you're bored, okay? Yeah. I was bored. Oh, I had something else and whatnot after I ate. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. I, mean, I blew out my stomach. That's what happened. Wow. I want to turn our attention to our Black-owned business of the week. This week, we want to put the spotlight on batter and berries. If you're like me, then you're constantly on the lookout for great places to eat breakfast. If so, then you might want to put batter and berries on your list to try out. Located at 2748 North Lincoln Avenue, this popular breakfast and brunch spot has been proudly serving the community since 2012. While they have a variety of food options, you may want to think twice before you pass up a chance to try the French toast flight. I don't even like French toast, so trust me, this French toast is absolutely amazing. They offer dine-in, takeout, and delivery through Uber Eats, Grubhub, and DoorDash. So you have a variety of ways to check them out. I encourage you to take a look at their menu at www.batterandberries.com. You can also email them at info at batterandberries.com. 
You can also show them some love on all the major social media platforms by typing in Batter and Berries, as well as finding them in the App Store. Or if you're old school like me, give them a call at 773-248-7710. Batter and Berries. I highly recommend them. Don't you ever say nothing bad about French right. toast ever again. <laughs> if, if it ain't bad and very French toast, bro, it's not my thing. The, uh, um, American toast. American toast. Ameri American toast. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For our main topic, we wanted to talk about investing into Black communities and some of the hurdles that prevent people from being able to do so. There's an article in bbc.com about an entrepreneur named Brian Rice who wanted to invest in his hometown of Birmingham, Alabama and was just put through the ringers by banks over and over again where they were undervaluing his properties, um, not willing to give him loans. And we feel like this kind of issue is not just happening in Alabama, it's occurring across the country. So we wanted to kind of have a discussion about why are these issues happening and what do we feel like needs to be done to get the kind of investment in our communities that we want to see. So I want to ask you all, what does community investment mean to you? If you had millions to invest in the community, what would you do with it? You know, I probably would look at starting a couple of businesses and, and also possibly revamping some homes. That's, you know, I got at least two or three homes on my side of the street that are completely just um, vacant. You know, I, I could go ahead and try to get those homes going, remodel and, and flip those, uh, you know, just to get our neighborhood back up right just to get our block back up right. You know, uh, beyond that, there's a couple of businesses that are boarded up. Before the protests, we lost a couple of corner stores. Our community over here, I mean, we have a pretty, just for lack of a better word, uh, this might sound insensitive, but we, this is an old community. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot of old people here. And it's, it's very helpful to have some corner markets here. I have to travel at least 10 blocks to get somewhere. And if you're an older person, trying to travel 10 blocks just to get to the store, just to get a loaf of bread isn't always, I mean, that's not a, a, a great system. So to have a corner store would be, would be just fantastic for, for a community like this. I mean, there's, there's so many different, I mean, beautifying the parks that's over here, investing in our schools and our education. But the biggest thing is just keeping the money in our communities. I always had like a dream of being able to do that. You know how most folks had that dream, like if they ever won the lottery, what would you do? I personally, like my thing is always like, from what I remember from my neighborhood, I grew up in West Pullman. And I remember what my block used to be like. Like it used to be clean. You had a lot of the older fathers and stuff that would be outside, you know what I'm saying, cutting the grass. My pop used to have me outside cutting the grass. So, you know, all the older timers, they come over, they give you the suggestions. Like, hey, man, won't you cut it like this? Blue, this and that. I, I remember, like, my neighborhood took pride in the way it looked. You know what I mean? Like, you saw older cats that was out there cleaning up, not in front of just their own house and whatnot, but they, they walked the blocks and whatnot, like, picking up trash, sweeping up garbage and stuff like that. 
stopping in neighbors' houses, like, hey, do you need your grass cut? Stuff like that. There's no pride in anything that you have. Like, we, you don't have to have much to have a little pride in what you have. You know what I mean? Like, it, it you don't have to have a six-bedroom house with four bathrooms and a couple acres and whatnot to care about what you have. The, just inspiration and keeping the little bit you got together and making it look like something and, and knowing that you put yourself into making it look that way, there's pride in that. I'd like to just go around and just basically get anybody who's who's even willing or would want to like let, let's clean up. Let's let's make this place look nice. Let's 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 make it look like you live here. Let's make let's let's let's, let's turn this ghost town into some life. You know what I mean? And then there's always that risk of people coming behind and tearing up stuff and whatnot. And that's usually what stops people from doing that type of activity. It's like you, you get scared that the youth is gonna come and all they're gonna do is just tag it up again and all that. But at the end of the day, like if you care about it, put something into it. And then when it comes to businesses, I remember the few ladies who, who moved back into the neighborhoods who opened up them stores where they sold pizza puffs and fries and everybody in the neighborhood knew who they were. They had little video arcades and stuff like that. They had little areas where kids could come in and they could relax and kind of just, you know, just be themselves and not have to worry about their surroundings. You know what I mean? Just, just giving youth a place where they can be themselves <laughs> where they can have safety and where they don't have to worry about anybody, you know, chastising or telling them, you know, you're, you're the reason why things are bad and stuff like that. You're giving them different avenues and a different attitude and just giving them a safe space. If I had a pot of money that I could potentially invest into the community, um, I would kind of split it in half and do two different things with it. One, I agree with both of you that beautification uh beautification of these impacted areas is definitely important part of the reason people don't have pride in the areas they live in is because they feel like they see garbage and destitution everywhere they look there has to be a mass effort to really clean up these areas and make them into something that people will be proud to see it's very important that the community participates directly in that effort. You don't clean it up once expecting that it's going to be beautiful for all time. This is about re pressing the reset button and trying to do a mass effort to beautify the area. But then everybody digs in day to day to keep it that way and to show anyone who comes in this area, hey, we have pride in our community and we're not going to allow you to just treat it any way you want to. But the other part is... I would try to position myself as kind of like an angel investor, you know, like they have out in uh, California and some of these major tech areas where there are these people with sums of money and they just invest in people who they feel like have very good ideas for businesses. You know, I would try to be that person who say, hey, there's a bunch of you out here who are not able to get banks to loan money to you or to assist you in making your dreams come true, maybe I can be that person to try to invest in the people who are already living in this community, who want to create their businesses in this community. And so I can be relatively sure that if I make an investment into your business, it's going to end up helping the community as well. And I think by doing that, you know, instead of me just creating one business, maybe I could be a part of creating, you know, five to 10 different businesses. And that would be my way of trying to really invest in the community and create more jobs. So 
my next question then is, why isn't Chicago fighting against the racist practices that are stalling investment? You know, we, we all know banks aren't lending to black people. They're undervaluing our homes. Just you could go on and on about the list of hurdles people experience when they're trying to invest in the black community. Considering how angry people are about the poverty and crime that is severely impacting the south and west sides of Chicago, why does it seem like the city isn't doing more to reverse these practices and make it easier to invest in the black community? What would they have to gain from it? Actually being good people? They talk about redlining and stuff like it was 20, 30 years ago. This article, eight years ago, the federal government warned banks and drew red lines. Y'all still redlining to this day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And every, every time you hear somebody talk about it, they talk about it like it happened 20, 30 years ago. Like they talk about slavery. They push it back about 100 years every time they bring it up. <laughs> like, I, that's, that's, so, that's so damn frustrating and whatnot. Like you telling me like you have the will, you, you've worked hard, You've done everything you can to keep your credit and stuff in line. You save money. They keep telling us about this American dream that everybody has access to, but you still come back to try and do something in your own neighborhood to help other people, and they shut you down before you even walk in the door? I, there's, nothing, there's nothing for them to gain from us being better. That's, that's the whole damn problem, and, and that's what's so damn upsetting. It's, you, you hear all these people that want to make the argument about, you know, this is this is 2020 now. It's, it's a whole new well, Where the hell are you? Are you not looking at this? Are you not seeing it? Or what, what about this? Don't you believe? Like, you just you just feel like because you ain't walking around calling us niggas all day, which y'all are starting to get ready to start doing again. You think the world has changed somehow? You think things have gotten better, but you're literally stopping Men who've worked hard. This brother down in Alabama, God bless him for wanting to build something in Alabama. <laughs> First of all, I'd, I'd have been through Montgomery. <laughs> God bless the brother for wanting to go back there and do something with the place. I mean, even, even if you have all the best intentions in the world, but you still got to battle against white people who really don't give a shit about you. Don't give a damn about your culture, but, but ready to fuck around and appropriate it when it's necessary, when they can make money off of it. But God forbid you let us in and make some of it too. You got brothers out here and you don't hear about them. You don't. You don't hear nothing about them, but they coast under the radar and they try to make something of themselves. And some of them actually try to come back and, and try and perpetuate that same feeling, that same work effort that they put in to try and prove that other people can do it too. And then you got to deal with this. I think it's, you know, especially a problem here in Chicago, because even besides the banks, just to, from a historical standpoint, local government has not been allies of the black community in Chicago at all. The mayor ain't going to help you. The attorney general ain't going to help you. None of these people are concerned with these practices that are assisted in keeping the black community down because they're interested in keeping the black community down. The dailies and their history of the type of practices they used to use in the black community. I mean, it, 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 it's on record. They destroyed us. They, they actively destroyed us. And that was the whole point. 
to begin with. It's not an accident. But you know what's real funny, though? When they ready to move into certain neighborhoods, they were out in the suburbs forever. They, they, didn't want, they didn't want no niggas out there in the suburbs. They made sure to keep you out them suburbs. <laughs> but the minute they said they want to move back to the city, mm -hmm. they, they literally evicted black people. Mm -hmm. Sent them out there to them suburbs that they know they ain't know what the hell to do with them. Mm -hmm. And moved themselves right back on into the city with their little gentrification and all the other. Let's make, let's make the city nice again for us. Yeah. And, and they've been doing this shit for years. Like, what? What happens when they get tired of the city again? They're going to fuck around, start building their damn projects again, and they're going to send niggas back into the middle of the city. And then they're going to move back out to the damn suburbs and keep you out. This country was founded on that this is the greatest country in the world. That's, that's what this country was founded on, that they were going to be better than every other country. All the other systems that these other countries had in place, they were going to be better, right? And unfortunately the way it trickled down to the people as time went on, it's not just about this country is better than other countries. It's, it's about I'm better than you. So the way they kind of hold this, this whole thing together is that I'm a man, so I'm better than a woman. I'm a white person, so I'm better than a black person. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm straight, so I'm better than a gay person, right? And they use these little pockets of, of trying to convince people that they're better than someone else. And we're, we all end up crabs in a bucket just pulling everybody down while the, while the top 1% just, they, they get their money coming and going no matter what. There's no incentive for us to come up because now they have to share some of that wealth. And what that means is, is that when you have more wealth, you have more power. So now I got more power in elections. Now when he's talking about that redlining, well, I got more money in my community now when you look at a city map, you can look at it and pinpoint where all the money is going. And downtown is an obvious place where the money goes here, right? Hyde Park is an obvious place where the money goes here, right? So there's certain areas in the city that you know the money goes to, and it throws off the balance of power when that money starts going other places. We could literally, with the land that is here on the south side of Chicago, and the land that I've seen on the west side of Chicago, we could literally create our own city. We have the wealth to it. We have that kind of wealth and that kind of that kind of backing. We could have our completely own. And and of course they don't want that. When you talk about the dollar, right? It, it's it's no longer backed by by anything physical. It's not backed by any gold or anything like it used to be, right? They 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 struck that down a long time ago. Part of what bats the dollar is the GDP. And what the GDP quite simply is, the output of the work that me, you, and Samori, what we all put out there, right? That's basically what the GDP comes down to, is what all the American citizens put in there 40 hours plus per week, and it all comes down to, at the end of the year, what the gross domestic product is, which means that when this country borrows money, they are actually borrowing money based on the work that our children are supposed to perform later on in life. So we're supposed to we're supposed to take our children. You want to know why these jails want people? Because hey, they don't have to pay those people as much to put out that same gross domestic product. They can put them in those jails and pay them cents on the dollar to do the same work they would have to pay us a, a somewhat of a wage for, 
we're supposed to raise our children to be good little soldiers. We're not supposed to raise our children to be entrepreneurs, to work for themselves, to think for themselves. Because you see what happens when people have time to think for themselves. We have almost 60 straight days of protest in, in the Portland, Seattle area. That's what happens when you don't make these good little soldiers and when you give them time, when you give them resources, right? And they don't really have the resources, right? They just got the time now. So imagine if they had the money behind it, right? How are you going to hold them down then? And and last thing I'm going to bring up, I promise. Sorry, I'm, I'm taking up all this time. Look, think of every prominent African-American community in history and how violently they ripped it apart. And it goes back to the I have to be better than you is that concept in America, right? A white mob looked over at the people in Tulsa and said, you are making the people in Black Wall Street, you are making too much money. I don't have the stuff that you have. And I'm white. I'm supposed to have that long before you have it. I mean, it, it goes it goes way far far deep, but yeah, there's there's no reason for them to change it. The top one percent wants to keep being the top one percent, and that's in jeopardy. Part part of the reason why Chicago refuses to address those type of issues is actually a problem that we have across the country, in that the the standard for how well the government is doing is not how well it's serving the population. It's instead, how well are you managing the debt? You know, how are you keeping the deficit low? Are you making sure that, you know, the books are balanced? Which when you look at how that's applied historically, it's really about making sure the government is not putting too much money into serving the general public. And by extension, poor people. And it's the same thing here in Chicago. Every time someone brings up, well, they need to pay their pensions or they need to do more for the black community or they need to address the homeless problem. They bring up the, what is it? The standard and poor, the S and P bond rating and say, well, you know, Chicago's on the brink of their rating being junk because they're not managing their deficit. They're not managing the money properly. So they shouldn't be spending more money on the public. Instead, they should be focusing on how to not pay these people who are due their pensions and how to make sure the money keeps flowing to the 1%. So I feel like we, we, we as, as a country and as a people have to figure out how to flip that and say that, that there needs to be some sort of, of judgment about whether or not you're doing well as a government is determined by whether or not you are servicing the people. Like, are these potholes filled? Are, 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 are the roads running the way they're supposed to? Are you beautifying the city the way that you're supposed to? Are you servicing the public? Not, well, we want to put all the focus on how much money you're spending on the poor while doing nothing to limit the amount of money you're spending on the 1%. Um, Hudson, I want to follow up with you again, because I know you've really been following Jamal Green here in Chicago. You know, has he offered up some specific ways to try to combat what we're experiencing in this? You know, just a, just an oversight on, on what he's doing, right, is he's he's protesting right now, specifically Chase Bank. And and he's going to Chase Banks all over the city. And he's he's uh, 
He's sending out flyers to the customers that come. Uh, he's he's kind of he's kind of trying to block business without blocking business, right? He's he's putting his people at the ATM machine so he could stop others from going to the ATMs and pulling out money. This is definitely not his end game. I don't know what what his next move is going to be, but basically he wants to just inform the public of the of the gross lending practices that have been going on with Chase and Chase has been the, by far the worst when it comes to investing into the black communities, right? He's trying to right now get them to give reparations. And, you know, it seems almost impossible, <laughs> right? He's. I was about to say, do you feel like it's working? Like has Chase actually directly responded to him? Yes, they do directly respond to him. But like I said, it, it's not about the traction. It's about calling awareness to what's going on. When revolution's starting, it, it starts when people start to know actually what's happening. And to this point, He's got us talking about yeah. it. I mean, to this point, who knew that Chase only lent 1.9% of the $7.5 billion they've lent out over the past eight years? Who knew that only 1.9% came to the black community? No one really knew. So, you know, right now the goal is to inform. And it's going to take time for the public to really start getting outraged by it because you still got people who only think you know, selfishly for themselves and say, hey, you know, uh, well, they they lent, they lent the money to me for my house. <laughs> well, that's great. But, you know, if they don't lend to anyone else to renovate houses or, or beautify neighborhoods or put businesses there, your house is going to be worthless. Uh, I'm, I don't think he expects Chase to give out a billion dollars in reparations right now. But I'm sure he's got something else planned for after he feels like the public is now made aware. I did my part. I closed my account two, three years ago. And I think I had a balance. So, yeah. <laughs> I think I had a balance. <laughs> Maybe nice. sort of kind of had a balance. <laughs> Fight the power. Um I do feel like we're going to have a multicultural effort towards lifting up the black community. And I think it becomes crystal clear when you're looking at these George Floyd protests. I think you're seeing people all across the country who are saying enough is enough. We want this to stop. We're tired of seeing the type of stories that keep coming out about the black community being abused, not just here in America, but really across the globe because they're having the exact same protest in Paris, you know, for the exact same reasons, being abused by the police and by extension by their local government. And so I feel like there's a real appetite for everyone to dig in and try to figure out on a granular level what needs to be done in order to address this. And I got to be honest, that's part of the reason I haven't turned my back on her in any sort of way, but I am a little bit disappointed in Lightfoot because I feel like this is something that she she should be more welcoming towards. You know, she should be saying, wow, there's this whole movement about showing respect to, you know, people of color, people who have been marginalized and trying to figure out how, how we should lift them up. This is something that on some level, I should be supporting. And I feel like in a lot of ways, she and, and by extension, our local government is not doing that. And I'm not 
exactly sure why, but I definitely feel like there's the appetite for it, even in Chicago, which is known as one of the most racist cities in the country. You know, people are just tired. They are tired of hearing about black people getting shot. They're tired of that our schools are worse and that we don't get the proper level of investment. People don't want to hear that anymore. They don't want to have to know that this is the type of country that they're living in. So I feel like there's definitely an appetite for all of us to come together and address these issues. But we need leaders who are going to push that forward. And I feel like we've got a whole lot of leaders who are talking about let's be in the streets, let's pull down statues, let's march, let's say F the police, let's do all sorts of things to make it clear how upset we are. And I'm not sure how many leaders are pulling from the other side, like, yes, you can do all that, but there's work that actually has to be done so that we can harness this moment and something positive and permanent comes out of it. And so that's my real fear that we've woken everybody up and we're all together and we all want to do something and we're all ready, but nobody's leading from that standpoint. So nothing's really going to happen. And I think only the future is going to really tell uh, whether or not that's the case, but one can hope. All right. I want to thank all of you for joining us here at SJH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. I'd like to give a special thanks to Batter and Berries for providing fantastic service for eight years and counting. Let's support our black businesses, y'all. Once again, if you are a black business owner and would like to get featured as our business of the week, please make sure to send an email to info at sjhmancave.com. Any of our listeners can get a hold of us there as well. Remember that you can hear this and other episodes on all your major podcast platforms. We are also on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button, like, and leave a comment. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori, signing off.